Okay, do I do a formal introduction? I don't think so. Um, no, I think I'll do the introduction. Ready? Here you. we go. So Dan Schmidt is on here asking his technicians if they're ready. That's kind of like a TV hunting show guy going to the camera. Are you on him? Well, what else are you here for? You got to be on him. Come on, let's go, guys. Are you on him? Are you on him? Ready? You sure? No, don't shoot. Thanks. Did you miss all that? That was the best intro. That was the best intro. Thank you. You and I have been texting since early this morning, and I think we used up all our good points, but I don't think so. Nah, they never run out of steam. All truth, logic, and common sense has an eternal life, and I'm here to fan the flames of all the good stuff that brings quality of life. Dan, that's why you love me. One of the many reasons. One of the many reasons. But one of the many reasons why I exist today is to find out why... Um, the Amboy Dukes aren't mentioned when it says, um, baby, please don't go. We're talking about Aerosmith. We're talking about other people. Muddy Waters brought it back. Uh, that song was written in like 1935, right? Joe Williams. Joe Williams, the author of one of the pillars of rhythm and blues and rock and roll. Soulful, soulful music. And I discovered it in 1957 by um, the original artist, Joe Williams, really a bleak. Baby, please don't go. Baby, please don't go. In fact, for your entertainment enjoyment, on a, on a Taylor guitar custom made for me by a fellow hunter, we're talking about... Don't you go. Oh, it's got a guitar pick in there. I always have extra ammo. But, so anyhow, the reason, the answer to your question is so obvious, you know the answer, but it's important to reiterate. The reason my baby, please don't go, which by the way, next to them, ACDC, Aerosmith, them. Check out the them, them was, um, who was this? Van Morrison. Van Morrison. And um, 1964, band I believe. That dressed up like uh, Paul Revere and the Raiders. Check out Paul Revere and the Raiders. He's the guy on the bass guitar that really emphasized why I played the bass on it. You know, that grind, that grunt, that Motown thing. But anyhow, the reason the Amboy Duke's killer version, dare I say, Dan Schmidt, the best, most energetic, fun, adventurous guitar screaming animal breeding soundtrack version of baby please don't go the best by the amboy dukes especially on double live gonzo the live version of my feet never touched the ground that whole night is because i wouldn't get high with the people that make those determinations now everybody's out there going oh as if that's it the reason I am not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, the whatever that one is, I'm in the real one on the streets of America and the world, is because I wouldn't get high, I wouldn't smoke dope and hash and snort meth and cocaine with the people that determine those lists. So to this very day, Jimmy got high, Jimmy's dead. I went hunting, I'm still Ted. And you've told me, me. you told me that 20, 30 years ago, but... Um, which is true. And now this question was way down on my list. And I knew I was never going to ask these in, in order. You know, that's the truth, right? You know, I, I 100% know it's I, the I truth. I don't play their games. You didn't. And so tell me, because it's deer and deer hunting, and we're, we're not trying to be all buttoned up, but let's go back to 1968. And let's say from 1960. 1960- One of my favorites, by the way. That was the year I think you guys put that on an album, right? 
And it was the year that my son Fleetwood, Theodore Fleetwood Nugent was born. Right. October 28, 1968. Yeah, what a, Dukes, Journey to the Center of the Mind was the number one song in Detroit for, I think, 11 weeks and around the country. It was number one off and on. But what a great music. My band, I give all the credit to my bandmates. So 1968, I'm there. I'm there right now. 1968, and I'm not saying this because you're my friend and I'm talking to you here on, on the podcast, but... Um, 1968 you were listed as the best rock guitarist in in rock and roll and uh jimmy hendrix wasn't i mean i know he was there um but anyways i i digress i want to i want to steer this to just give me take me from 1968 to say 1980 let's let's do those 12 years that's a stretch that's quite an event that's more than lewis and clark had to engage and i did have a number of sacagaweas at my side the point being is the 1960s it started way before they started in 1958 but no hang on hang on hang on the question was 1968 to 1980 you don't have to name names if you want to you can uh, when you started really getting into hunting there's had to be somebody that came along and said you shouldn't be doing that so tell me one of those stories, because I know you've got them. There well, had to be another rock and roll star that said, oh, man, you, you shouldn't be publicizing that you're a, you're a deer hunter. Oh, boy, they kept telling me that, telling me that, telling me that. It goes way before 1968. I did not get into deer hunting in 1968. I was born in a deer hunting family in 1948. I was at deer camp with my mom and dad in northern Michigan in the fall of 1949. I was, I was 10 months old. And I don't know if that, I don't know what role the alignment of those um, uh, baptismal planets had on my future craving for the spirit of the wild, but I have been a hunter my whole life. I would walk behind my dad with my little uh, fiberglass bow and, and kid's arrows. I think I had the world record slam of stuffed animals with suction cup arrows by the time I was four. But I was born on the Rouge River uh, in Detroit, uh, where the wildlife habitat was alluring beyond description. I couldn't get enough of sneaking up on game and, and finding quail. There's so many quail back then, and pheasants, pheasants and quail. There were no deer or turkey at all, but I was fascinated by wildlife. So by the time 1968 came, I had already been celebrating jubilantly. <laughs> I mean, there's no. this term, avidity. Avidity is a noun, extreme eagerness and enthusiasm. I've been, I've been strangle-held, shall we say, by avidity for my hunting, the mystical flight of the arrow, wildlife fascination, and ultimately the lessons of restores responsible stewardship. But by 1968, because I was already doing interviews with the then new rock and roll press, I, they always asked me where I get my energy because at 70, I'll be 75 this year and my energy is kind of silly in the Richter scale. So they would ask me, so where do you get all this energy? Uh, what, and they wanted to know what kind of drugs I was on because everybody was getting high and stoned and drooling and puking and stumbling. And I saw that drooling and puking and stumbling and getting high would be non-advantageous to me get, getting close to a white-tailed deer with a sharp stick. So I completely defied that. I defied the whole drinking drug hippie peer pressure insanity because I wanted to kill a deer with a bow and arrow. That was my drive. Plus, I wanted to learn Chuck Berry's licks. So as they asked me how I get all this energy, I'd go, well, this weekend, my dad and I went up north and we went bow hunting, man. It was unbelievable. I saw this. I saw a series of white tails, which is actually the deer's middle finger. I, but, and they would go, well, you, you, you like kill deer? And I go, 
what, what kind of questions they yeah it's it's october it's deer hunting season they go wow man they were upset and so they the tables began to turn when i wouldn't smoke their dope with them and i celebrated killing animals for food and balance and all the perfect things that hunting represents and then they discovered i carried a gun and they were just aghast that i would carry a gun they would attack me live on their radio shows and i'd go wait a minute eating venison and carrying a gun are two of the most perfect things a person can do and i wasn't i was a mushy-brained uneducated non-debate kind of, i didn't know about debates and and political correctness and where this the, the initial culture war was beginning to build toxic steam but my instincts told me wait a minute this guy's criticizing me for not getting high they are drooling the musicians i play with are getting high and they forget our arrangements they are late they smell bad and you want me to participate in the process by which i can forget these great musical adventures drool and be late i don't think i want to do that because i want to learn the songs and the sounds and the guitar maneuvers and i wanted to get close to game so between well from then on it started before 68 i started doing interviews in 65 66 uh you can uh, find them the, on youtube uh, i'm sending these to you every night at three o'clock in the morning you know that I'm finding, yeah, so, I'm finding so these interviews, on. but how did you, okay, let me just stop for a second. And I, I sent this to you the other day in a text. I, I don't know your relationships with these guys, but you had Ronnie Van Zandt. He was a big fisherman. I don't know if he was a hunter. He was from Jacksonville, Florida. You had John Fogarty, one of the biggest uh, acts in the day. We know, I mean, I can find one of his greatest quotes was, there's nothing great, there's nothing better than a good day's kill. And he was talking about going pheasant hunting or something like that. But you had these guys, you had John Mellencamp from Indiana. You had all these other guys. He wasn't that far back. But you had these people who were grounded, who were outdoorsmen or at least grounded to the farming community. I'm not saying they all did, but most of them did. How did you not? How did you not succumb? Because I find these videos, 1971, you're sitting there and there's some hippie smoking a cigarette interviewing you. You know which one I'm talking about. And, yeah. and there's all these other interviews all the way through the career. And your your message has always been consistent. Was it your dad? Did your dad threaten to kick your ass or what was it? It's everything. And my dad, God rest his soul, just had a great text uh, thread with my brother, Jeff, and my sister, Kathy, about our beloved lost brother, John. And my sons and daughters were all on it talking about my grandma, Emma Nugent, and the Ginkle family in, in uh, Freiburg, Pennsylvania, where my dad taught me to aim small, miss small with the with the 22 bolt action Remington target master that I have right here next to me in the in the uh, gun cabinet. So yes, it was the discipline. I'm telling you, Dan, today in March 2023, there is an unlimited tsunami of tragedy, violence, death and ruined lives because of the lack of discipline. Parents don't discipline their child because they're afraid they won't be their friend or they won't, they, they will hurt someone's feelings. My dad was a drill sergeant in World War II United States Army Cavalry. <laughs> and, he, and we didn't, in fact, I would hate to use the term, but I think it's accurate. My brothers and sister and I hated his discipline. We probably thought we hated him because I had to be in when the streetlights went on. And when I handled a gun, if he saw that muzzle, he'd, he'd knock my block off. Now, he never knocked my block off because I made sure he never saw the muzzle. That's the hardcore threat 
of accountability, shall we say, that I was raised in. But being that as it may, in the insanity of beatniks turning into hippies from the 50s to the 60s, wasn't I the ultimate poster child to rebel and get stoned and get drunk and smoke cigarettes and do all the things my dad just wouldn't allow hardcore discipline but it it morphed into the discipline of slow down up in the manistee national forest with my you would my you longbow and cedar arrows which i also have on the wall here we're talking 56 57 and he would discipline me you're never going to see a deer if you don't slow down you Watch that foot. What a great parallel of higher level of awareness that is paramount to bow hunting, paramount to musical integrity, paramount to quality of life and life itself. So I, I, I was lucky that I didn't rebel against his discipline, but I implemented it. And here it is, my 75th hunting season this year coming up. And I'm a happy son of a gun, and I'm a disciplined son of a gun. And all, you've met my children. Yep. That is the earmark of the integrity and soulfulness of a human being. And I know some children raised properly can still snap, and man is capable of anything from the best of the good to the worst of the bad and the ugly. But I attribute my quality of life to the mantra of discipline. If you met my sister Kathy, my brother Jeff, and my beloved brother John who passed away, these are great people. And all my kids. My wife, Shemaine, are you kidding me? Well, I've personally all my met band, Shemaine, my and crew, everybody in my life, my Kobe. friends. We are, we are kind, positive, conscientious, thoughtful, critical thinking, and we are willing to take on anything, anywhere, anytime, under any conditions, because we've been fortified with the confidence that our step in the woods is a thoughtful step without breaking a twig, without rustling the leaves, where we pause long enough to examine and understand our surroundings. This is not only a deer hunting procedure, this is a life's procedure. And if you are conscientious about your step, you will be rewarded with wildlife encounters. And if you are conscientious about your step, you will be re rewarded with quality of life and happiness. Somebody write that down. Write it down. And I wanna say they are the hardest working family I've ever met. I've stayed in his garage in Michigan Toby was the most, the nicest, Mr. Schmidt, sir. I mean, the most polite, hardest working All my young kids. man I've ever met. And and your wife, Shemaine. Actually, I want to talk about Shemaine here for a second, Ted. I'd love to talk uh, about uh, Shemaine, <laughs> I know you do. Uh, you guys have to check her uh, Faith and Freedom podcast out. Um I do have the information here. It Real is... America's Voice. Shemaine has a Sunday morning, Voice. 10 a.m. Faith and Freedom with Shemaine Nugent on Real America's Voice, and she just saves life. She is. You should see the emotional responses she get from people who she's woken up, awakened to important, thoughtful, smart decisions in life regarding diet, lifestyle, abuses of substances that the the industries have brainwashed us with. Shemaine is not only the queen of the forest and Little Miss Dangerous and my soulmate and my best hunting partner and my wife, but she is a guiding light in a world of darkness. She Shemaine has Newton. some she has some fabulous I've I followed her on social media as well. Um check that out. But let me ask you about Shemaine. I know the story. The listeners and viewers probably might not have heard it. Shemaine was a basically a newscaster in Detroit when you met her. And um 
I don't believe she had a hunting background. None. Not, she'd never touched a weapon. She'd never been exposed or even downwind of the hunting lifestyle. And she was, she was, she was so wonderful. And she was upbeat and cocky and smart and unafraid and willing to engage on any level with anything and hold her ground. And I'm going, wow. And she's so beautiful. It's crazy. So I had sworn women off that year of 1988. I didn't want to have anything to do with women during the entire four-month hunting season because I quite honestly had it with women. But I had it in a really, really wonderful way. But I wanted to just focus on hunting and not uh, the the wonderful, fun, adventure, soulfulness of my relationship with the women in my life. But when I met her at the radio station in Detroit to do my annual first week of October opening week of bow hunting celebration, and fun and rock and roll she was the traffic weather girl and she was just so stunning i had to keep pinching myself going no she's not going to be part of the hunting season no you can't but we got married three months later but where you're going with this inquiry she had she had no idea about my rock and roll she had no idea about the second amendment or guns or self-protection she had no idea about hunting and nature and conservation and balancing the herds during our responsible season of harvest but within days she learned that i came home without any kills day after day and my enthusiasm my avidity she goes well you didn't even get anything why'd you why'd you say you had a great hunt what then i explained the sensations, the the bird that landed, the the tufted titmouse that landed on my arrow, the songbird cacophony, the the geese, the close call, the deer that almost came in, and the stimuli, and the excitement, and the the adrenaline management that takes place. She goes, well, that sounds exciting. And so she had a big video camera at the time, this great big VHS thing, whatever it is. And so we started filming it, and that was the beginning of the Spirit of the Wild on public television in 1989. And she saw and understood immediately that you have to kill the surplus every year because the winter won't support that herd and the spring they're going to have they're going to double their numbers and so the habitat has to be saved it's so simple that even someone who was brainwashed by the anti-education system of america and michigan at the time she she grasped it within minutes and she pursued it and she's become the most dangerous bow hunter in america she's a hell of a bow shot so tell tell me about that that first deer that she killed. Do you remember it? Yes, and she, to this day, she has not killed a doe. It's really? Something about women and shooting does. I and I go, I but honey, and she, know and, she, and she knows that you have to shoot does. I shoot, I don't know, 40, 50 does a year on our various properties uh, and friends' properties. Um, but she, some maternal pulsation that she, she's going to she's got close this year because she realized we had to shoot a lot of does on the michigan swamp and our spirit wild ranch but she wants to wait for a stag which is that patience thing and there is an electricity what was the uh roger roth had written books about the electricity that we emit i really emit a lot of electricity when i show up at the deer stand everything takes off <laughs> but when she it. shows up at the deer stand bucks arrive i swear to god it's mystical it's a miracle so she killed her first deer she was shooting a, 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 a at the time we had we were shooting uh i think it was martin bows and she practiced and practiced and practiced and if she misses the x on the target by a half an inch she goes damn it 
She actually doesn't say damn it. She says darn it. Um, I go, honey, that's a great shot. That, that's a, like Olympic accuracy. I know, but I wanted to hit the X. <laughs> and so she practices and gets an unbelievable form. And by the way, how about the form when a good-looking, skinny woman draws a bow back? I'm not, say, I'm not responding to a comment about your wife. but I'm... <laughs> I, can't e- I can't even watch. But anyhow, so yes, when she killed her first deer, when um, was that? Was it right away, like in 89? No, 90? no, she didn't start bow hunting. We were married in 89, uh, January 21st, 1989. And she didn't really start. She started shooting the bow within a week or two. And she became fascinated with trigger control and marksmanship and the aim small, miss small ballet, that martial arts of being one with your breathing, your hand, your muscles, and your trigger finger unleashing the moment of truth that is also emphasized with archery. So she became fascinated with that sport discipline. But it wasn't until, I'm going to say, 89, she started shooting. I'm going to say by nine, during the damn Yankees, um, I would hunt every day, October, November, December, and she indicate and i didn't push her i don't push anybody toby's become this unbelievable bow hunter rocco is an unbelievable hunter um sasha's an unbelievable hunter my other fleetwood has become an unbelievable hunter but shemaine is off the charts she is like cochise or natty bumpo she's like this spirit woman Her movements and her focus and her attentiveness seeing game after you and I have spent a lifetime of training our predator eyes to see game, Shemaine's there. She was there by 91, 92, and I believe her first kill was around 1994. And she eventually at dinner said, you know, I'm shooting really good and it's warm out. Can I hunt tonight? And I went, hallelujah yes and i put her in the best stand and she was with uh, jenny olson of uh, michigan uh, 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 outdoor television uh, michigan outdoors jenny olson great great gal uh, super sports woman sportsman uh, conservationist uh, videographer producer host and shemaine had this little eight point year and a half old buck and shemaine said on film she goes that's awful small and jenny went it's bigger than any deer your husband killed this year. <laughs> and so she made shot it through the heart. And it was so, you know, our fellow hunters know that first deer, especially and females are different. By the way, I, I thought I just mentioned in this crazy world that there's only males and females in the world. This, the female thing, it it's... um. A, a, a conflict of the joy of success, knowing that that deer needs to die to balance the herd and to feed our family. It's all perfect, but they still get emotional because the modern person has devolved into a non-participant in God's miracle of sustainability and renewability. And I remember there were tears. Um, I said, she, she has, they stand back. And I said, honey, go to the deer. She says, I, I need a minute. Very special moment. And I still feel that, but I don't need a moment. Um, I charge to the deer because I can't wait to hold it. And my happiness and my smiles and occasional laughter and fist pumping is not disrespectful. It's actually a human predator prayer for God giving me this opportunity to perform responsibly. That's what the laughter is. It's not disrespectful. 
Some people get down, like Will Primos wants to be alone when he retrieves an animal, mm -hmm. and he says a prayer in his own way. I wrote stories 40, 40 years ago, prayer for the wild things. Mm -hmm. I remember. Our success <clears throat> and happiness is a prayer. But she was emotional, and she grabbed those horns. And it was a magic moment. That's why Spirit of the Wild Television, now on Pursuit Network, is so popular for the last 33 years. I attribute it mostly to Shemaine. Shemaine is the newcomer. There's no, nothing more important in conservation and the hunting lifestyle than newcomers. And she has done it with aplomb and grace and respect and reverence and uh, in attentiveness to be the best that she can be. So she is the model of what our sport needs. That demographic that Thank God, for many reasons, there's so many females, whether it's Tiffany or uh, the different gals, uh, I can't think of all their names right now, but it's that female explosion into the sport that has really solidified uh, a positive future, I believe. That is a good uh, good segue is who, I, I, I can't do that segue yet. First of all, we're talking about, this This actually was a question, I put it out for some of my uh, Twitter followers, I said, if you want to ask Ted a question, Here's your chance. I'm gonna I'm gonna list them. I've been to your place, your wild place in Michigan. God, we're gonna have so many cybers. I hope I can fit this all in. Tell us about that thousand acres, that wild ground that I hunted on. Tell me about the history of that. Wow, you know, you 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 ask me these questions, and a lot of times people will give you a couple minute answer. I could go for days. About we have this. to have a couple. I got that wasn't actually the question. The question. Okay, let me ask you. Let me put it this way: You have the thousand. I'll acres. make it. I'll make it short and sweet for you. The wild um, it's, land. It, go ahead. It's a paradise. I have the largest fen east of the Mississippi under my private property ownership. A fen is a special wildlife uh, environment <clears throat> that is somewhat of a cross between a swamp and a marsh. I have a giant swamp and I have a giant marsh and I have a giant fen. The fen is such a unique wetlands, a, a uh, transitional wetlands, one of the only transitions I really acknowledge in this world, uh, a transitional wetlands that is the the uh, support network for the endangered Mitchell Satter butterfly. Don't you, don't you love the way I parallel this stuff? Your brain it's, is it, like on fire. Okay, go ahead. It, it, it's, it's, it's the support habitat for the endangered Mitchell Satter butterfly because the scientists and the biologists and botanists believe that the Mitchell Satter butterfly needs the Christmas tree fern to to survive and my fen the fens of america support the mitchell satter butterfly and the christmas tree fern and they come from many universities and 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 organizations botanical organizations to study my fen every year and they say it's the healthiest fen in the world and they say it's the healthiest fen in the world because i kill a lot of deer you kill a lot um, of deer you've I been doing it since 1980 I bought it in 1980. You told me that story. Well, I was I, I met a George Nichols with my buddy Brian Shootback of Shootback Sporting Goods in, in Jackson, Michigan, uh, the go-to place for the ultimate guidance and, and, and bow setups and archery uh, information and knowledge. And George Nichols was the first guy in 1947 to shoot a legal buck during the experimental archery bow hunting season at the Allegan State Park with with his U longbow and George owned the Jackson archery shop that made all of Fred Bear's Ose, uh, 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 Port Orford cedar arrows. These are the people I got to hunt with and George hunted this piece of ground that was owned by, uh, owned by 
the guy that owned, that invented the Par-X aluminum bow in the late 40s. These are the guys that guided me, and he allowed me to hunt this place in a, this unbelievable habitat and deer. And there were no turkeys at the time. This was 19... Uh, uh, I, I started hunting with George in 1976 there, um, and they allowed me to hunt it, and it was just a, pheasants, quail, uh, doves, ducks, geese, uh, woodcock, grouse in southern Michigan. So I fell in love with it, and I fell on hard times because I was ripped off by liars and thieves in the music industry, and I was flat broke. And they said, you got to buy this, you got to buy this. It was 400 acres at the time. Long story short, I bought it in 1980 on a, on a, a cross fingers and a prayer as, the, uh, as, as I continued to tour and recoup the losses of the thieves in our world. And it's now 1,200 acres, all contiguous, and it, you saw it, it's paradise. It's paradise. So George introduced me to the property. George passed away. There's a story that's unbelievable. We'll talk about another time. George Nichols, remember that name. Brian Shootback, remember that name. Raleigh Harms, um, all these original bow hunters. Um, Bruce Gilpin, who just passed away at 96, I believe. They were the five guys at the Allegan State Park on the first experimental bow hunting season. And, and George tagged a spike with his uh, MA2. He's shooting an MA2 on a Port Orford Cedar Arrow with uh, natural turkey barred feathers that he made. Anyhow, I don't um, remember I what I had in my bow. sandwich yesterday, and you remember this stuff. The, the point was, I want to get that point in there because I hear you've heard it. You're numb to it. Nugent only hunts high fences. No, he doesn't. He's no, it's ridiculous. He hunts all over the place. But the question was, this came from, and I can't remember on Twitter, so please forgive me. I can't remember who's asking this. Ted can't possibly eat all that meat. Of course not. You're, you're hunting in Michigan. You're hunting in Texas. He's shooting all these deer. It's just he's got this bloodthirst. You know, you're you're shooting the Audads and you're shooting those big orcs things. And, um, you know, get into that. I know it, what you do, but I want you know, Dan. It it's so simple. Those people that propose such such mindless, presumptuous ignorant inquiries i'm here to help take a deep breath everybody i hunt all the time the land needs a specific scientifically determined harvest of surplus i have to shoot between 40 and 50 does on my michigan property it would be irresponsible not to so if you have a prop problem with the scientifically mandated harvest of the surplus on my property i can't help you and if you're that stupid i can't believe you're a deer hunter i don't believe these accusations come from real deer hunters they can't and the same with the exotics across texas and let me tell you something someone write this down the people that think i'm bloodthirsty maybe they would call all those soup kitchens and homeless shelters and charities that i supply tons of pure venison to and when they receive, Shemaine and I bring truckloads of venison burger to these charities, and they actually tear up because they need this protein. I've been doing this since the 1970s because I do kill a lot of deer. But stop and think of the mindlessness, Dan, that someone goes, he can't possibly eat those, all those deer. Duh. <laughs> 
<laughs> and I've written stories and done millions of interviews. I donate tons. I give away venison to my family and friends and my neighbors and my band and my crew and my management, and all the people in my life, and they cherish it. Plus, we, you know, I'm really kind. I'm so kind. I'm almost like Mother Teresa with a bow and arrow. But I keep the back straps. I'm a kind guy, but I'm not an idiot. Um, I keep the back. <laughs> not I've seen really. It. I've seen him keep the backstraps. I've, I've yes, I do it. keep a lot of backstraps. But my point is, is the ground demands a responsible harvest. I perform a responsible harvest, which happens to be a lot of game. Plus, here in Texas, we have managed land deer permits. I have friends with over 100. I just hunted a 400,000-acre private ranch in South Texas. The person owns 400,000 thousand acres do you know how many thousands of deer they have to shoot on that ground and most guys won't shoot those little three-year-olds that have you know stunted brow tines or you know the trophy thing i i will shoot their does because it's always a challenge and by the way let me let me clarify and i don't know why people still resist this truth if you want to shoot a really easy deer go to South Texas. You can you can wear your Aqua Velva aftershave and they'll still come by. They just are not afraid of people. And that's fun. And a, a, a Michigan deer hunter that was tortured by the white-tailed deer all my life made it so difficult. I like hunting in Illinois next to a forest preserve where the deer are used to hikers and picnickers. I like that deer that doesn't bolt out of here when I drop my arrow off the rest. I like to kill deer because it's the stealth, it's the attentiveness, it's the martial arts of coming to full draw at the right time. The deer on my high fence property, which I, by law I have to have a high fence because I have oryx and awdad and, and Saika and fallow, they're spooky, they're as spooky as any Michigan deer. I promise you, if your arrow makes any noise that we can't perceive as it comes across the arrow rest, that white tail, that odd dad, that axis, especially axis, axis you never like see ghosts. axis. Yeah, Those high. deer are mm-hmm. gone. So people who criticize high fence hunting, please take a deep breath. I've been hunting all my life. I hunted in the Sudan in 1978. Those animals didn't know what a human was. I could walk right up on a warthog and shoot it. If I was conscientious and stealthy, you're not going to blunder onto them. But if you've been trained by Michigan whitetails, as Fred Bear said, if you can kill a Michigan whitetail with a bow and arrow, you can kill anything on planet Earth. Because the stealth mandatory, the conscientiousness, this focus, I call it a martial arts. To get within bow range of a Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, all these white, Ohio, Indiana, you got to be cocked, locked, and ready to rock the Glock around the clock, Dr. Spock. If you're a bumbler, you're going to buy chicken. If you're stealthy and, and dedicate yourself to a reasoning predator mantra, that's the only way you're going to kill a deer on no fence or on high fence. Now, are there some high fences where the animals are really relaxed yes i've seen it and i've been invited and i've hunted there and i had a great time and i got some back straps so i like to try everything if you don't like high fence hunting it's really simple don't do it but until you do you have no right to an opinion <laughs> okay let's take deer out of the equation you can't eat a whitetail you can't eat an axis deer what 
is your go-to protein? I just killed two Nilgai antelope, the big blue bull from India that were brought to Texas in the 1930s that are running just wild all through South Texas. They're just, listen to me, Dan, a, a, a Nilgai antelope is as, is as spooky and tuned into you at a mile as a oh. white-tailed deer is at 100 yards. Worse These than a big Audad uh, ram? Well, all dead ram are super tuned in. They don't, you can't get, axis deer are so spooky. Ghosts, yes. But the best venison on earth is a, first of all, it's all awesome. They say that a fallow deer is not as good as a whitetail. It's still awesome if you kill it right and you handle it right. But the Nilgai antelope and the pure David deer from China oh, wow. may, may be the best venison of the world, right along with the, uh, the uh, Elan species. Elan, the Oryx, the Gensbach, those species have incredible meat. Zebra is actually better than white-tailed deer. And I say white-tailed deer is wonderful, but zebra meat is some of the best meat in the world. So is kudu and, 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 and Gemsbach and, and all those. It's all, how about this? We had javelina backstraps. A lot of people don't eat javelina. I shot them, never ate them. It was wonderful mm. if you take that gland off and mm. you treat it right. So I'm a venison guy. It, I'm, I'm, I'm really a healthy guy, and I attribute it to, number one, clean and sober, duh, and venison. We eat wild game all my life. It's really the best diet in the world. Okay, we're getting to the meat of this podcast. Switching gears, uh, there's one thing I want to argue with you about but not this uh we're going to talk about chronic wasting disease because i know you're dealing with it uh in texas tell me what is the state of the state uh with cwd in your specific world right now the people that are using cwd as a bludgeon against the hunting lifestyle are the doctor dr fauci's of the world texas parks and wildlife michigan dnr illinois dnr wisconsin dnr the Game Commission of Pennsylvania, et cetera, et cetera, they're run by a Dr. Fauci gang of liars and thieves that are looking for grants because no deer herd has ever been hurt by chronic wasting disease because scientifically it's the exact same profile as scrapies. No human has ever died from chronic wasting degrees, disease. It's the cervid version of Crutzfeld Jacob and the mad cow and bovines. I understand all this stuff. And my dear friend, I, I'm not going to mention names because he's scared to death. And that should tell you everything you need to know. A deer breeder in Texas. And let's, let's talk about that as, as I go on. If you don't like deer breeding, it's the fastest agriculture industry in the world, fastest growing. And if you like to breed deer like you do bass, we, everybody likes big bass, and I guess some people like freaky deer. I'm not a fan. I like, I like native deer. I like white-tailed deer that haven't been genetically modified. But some people like them, and it's America, and they grow big, gonzo, crazy GMO deer, and... My friend won't let me mention his name because the Texas Parks and Wildlife jackbooted thugs are wiping out his 400 breeding whitetails, killing all of them to look for CWD, which has never hurt anybody. So was These CWD, bureaucrats are out of control. Was CWD found in his place? They found a couple, well, they claim, and again, name me a bureaucracy you trust do you trust when the dnr of wisconsin comes out and makes a statement do you trust them 
It, I don't. It depends upon what the, what's coming out. It it sometimes can depend, but they the state wanted me to take all my brain stems from every whitetail I killed on my ranch and have a state veterinarian test them for CWD. I know documented cases where uh, landowners have turned <clears throat> in the heads of deer, and the the state comes back and says it has CWD. Well, let me see the the results. No, we don't need to show you the results. See, so we're going to study the January six riots, but we're not going to look. Look at the security camera footage. That's not a study. That's bureaucrat bureaucracy overstep. I consider the CWD to be a scam to hurt the hunting industry while while illegitimate, dishonest people are getting grants to study something that doesn't need to be studied. Okay. I'm gonna play devil's advocate here. Um I'm not a CWD denier. I know the disease exists and I know of course it, it exists. And it, it is hundred percent fatal if a deer gets it. However, uh, what we know, and you're going to be talking to uh, Steve Ditchkoff, Auburn University, one of the, the smartest uh, whitetail guy I know and for, and for years. The, pro- the problem with chronic wasting disease in the country, I want to find out specifically about Texas, um, but what it is, it is a age-dependent disease. So what you're going to find is you're going to have areas eventually, if it takes hold, now... That's a big if. If you got a place like Colorado or Wyoming where the deer are different on the landscape, you're just going to get pockets where you're not going to ha- you're not going to get a buck to 5, 6, 7 years old. It's simply not going to happen. Um, is it going to wipe the de- the the deer herd out? No, because the uh, the fawn reproductivity rate on does is going to be there. Of course. So, and I know you and I have talked about this, but basically, you know, outside of intense qdm you're not going to have and there is no human health threat but that i i digress what what are they doing on the wild deer in texas are they testing are they doing mass shootings what's going on with that well first of all um you're mistaken i believe and you have no uh proof to support your statement that cwd is a hundred percent terminal it it kills if a deer gets it, it's going to die. You have no proof to that. You, you don't know of all the deer that didn't die that might have had CWD. There's been no study. So just get, just get rid of that claim. Um, CWD, like Mad Cow, like Scrapies, like Crutchfeld Jacobs, um, we find it in, in, in dead or dying cervids, bovines, people, and sheep. Uh, you know, I'm not a scientist, but I study truth, logic, and common sense, and I have good friends that are scientists and biologists and veterinarians like Dr. James Kroll and others here in the state of Texas. And yes, they are studying it. And you know why they're studying it? Because they get taxpayer grants. They get taxpayer grants to burn. $50 million in Wisconsin burned down. And what's it? 30 some years later, they've accomplished nothing. Here's Ted Nugent's stand, and the evidence is irrefutable. Bureaucrats are untrustworthy. All of them. They're all Dr. Fauci's. They're all untrustworthy. Would you trust the FBI today? How about the CDC? How about the FDA that is in the pocket of the communist Chinese pharmaceutical industry poisoning our food and drug? The Food and Drug Administration is authorizing the poisoning of our food and drugs. The the United States Department of Agriculture is supposed to be in charge of our quality and healthy, uh, safe food. The USDA is in the pocket of the communist Chinese using Roundup Ready seeds and Roundup poisonous fertilizer 
the, the agency that's supposed to be in charge of protecting us from dangerous food is guaranteeing there's dangerous food. Have you seen the USDA's food pyramid where, where poisonous, chemical-colored, sugar-infested food is at the top of the food chain? Everybody in America, we're supposed to be critical thinkers. I don't trust the government on any level. Name a bureaucracy you trust. I dare you. Okay, we're going to have to calm you down a little bit. No, um, you're, I, I'm not going to calm down. <laughs> I'm an alive American, and I'm passionate about truth and justice. You are. And there is no truth or justice from Uncle Sam. So, well, let me ask you this. Should we not be studying CWD, in your opinion? Say again now. Should we not be studying the disease? I think we studied it all it needs to be studied. There is CWD. The recent science claims that once it's in the urine in the ground, it's there forever. How in God's name do you mitigate deer pee on North America that might have CWD in the ground? It's It's like, Dan, Dan, should we study gun control? Or do we already know about gun control? Here's the study. Quit wasting my tax dollars. All the innocent lives lost are always in gun-free zones. That's all you need to know. Don't You don't need to ban guns. You need to ban people who misuse weapons, people who stab and shoot and bludgeon and ball bat and shove people in front of trains and carjack and smash and grab. I want them either dead or in a cage away from my family. You don't need to ban anything. You need to stop evil behavior. Anybody want to debate me on that? The only pure person that would be stupid enough to debate me on that is a member of the Michael Moore fan club. (laughs) You know it's true. (laughs) I know that much is true. So you're basically saying we should just give up and not do anything else about studying for the disease. Not not exactly that it's there, because I agree with you on that. I agree with you that, like, yep, it's over here. Yeah, I know it's over here. Yep, we found it in uh, Tennessee. Yeah, I know that. Yep, we found, we found it in Michigan. Yes, we know that. What I said is if this is the Sistine Chapel is burning, where are the fire trucks? You know, Bingo. if, Dan, that's, if that, that's the case. You're, you're- let me let me make another perfect example. And again, people want to debate me. Call one eight hundred numbnut, and Michael Moore will tell you why you don't need personal hygiene. Um, and don't edit that out. That's just too much fun. No, this isn't getting edited. I'll, I'll fun stuff. My point is, <clears throat> uh, so scrapies. We knew that it wiped out the uh, sheep populations. It's dangerous in sheep, and we tested. We we, can, we should continue testing, but they're wasting our tax dollars. In North Dakota, for the first time, they had to refund some hunting licenses, deer licenses, not because of CWD, because of episodic hemorrhagic disease, Mm -hmm. blue tongue, and even in some cases, um, anthrax in Texas. Never has a season been reduced, never have licenses been refunded because of CWD. It's a scam. And let let me emphasize it thusly. The masks don't work. And it's not a vaccine. It's an experimental shot that Fauci created with gain of function illegally with our tax dollars in the enemy's Wuhan lab of the communist Chinese government. It's not a vaccine and masks don't work. CWD is the same thing. It exists. It hasn't hurt anybody. And we're wasting tax dollars to a vulgar, obscene criminal degree. 
and I would like I would like everybody to just shut up and go deer hunting. I can't I can't I can't add anything to the one thing that I can add is I would like to know more about the disease as far as uh, if it is a human health threat, which it's not. That's where uh, we should. Be, that's a conclusion. That that that's where we should. If there is. If there is a concern, that's why I use the uh, the chapel burning. If the chapel's burning, okay, put the fire out, yeah. but then find out, you know, the the extent of that damage. If there is no damage, and we did, we, you and I have talked about the fifty year study they did in Wyoming. They did. Oh. A, I'll just recap this quickly. A fifty year study. They went back and they looked at death certificates and analyzed how people died. So if they were if they were listed as a neurological death. They tried to pinpoint it, you know, like, so let's say they died of CJD or they died of some kind of dementia or something like that. They actually narrowed it in and looked at, you guys can look this up, um, the actual prevalence in the endemic area where chronic wasting disease was found was actually less. Yes, that's my point. There's all kinds of studies like that. But you know what they're going to do? They're going to ask for another $50 million to study that again. That again. Right. <laughs> They're irresponsible. I I I am so angry that bureaucrats torch the tax dollars of hardworking Americans. And this is just another glaring criminal example of what they're they're taking our tax dollars to waste. And we don't need to go into the billions of dollars of our taxes that were given to Planned Parenthood to murder children. We don't have to go into the billions of dollars of military hardware that our government gave to our enemy, the Taliban. We don't have to examine how this freak, this perverted comedian, homosexual, playing the piano with his penis, Zelensky, has got hundreds, it's not funny. <laughs> There's footage of this freak. This guy's a bad man, and we're giving him billions of dollars to cover up the Joe Biden gangster family, child sex trafficking, and money laundering. That's where our tax dollars are going, and CWD qualifies right in that obscenity. What about the people within our industry, and you know them, not even, I'm not talking manufacturers. I'm talking about... Pat Durkin. <laughs> You're talking about scammers. You're talking about trade turncoats. You're talking about cannibals and inbreeders in our industry that are getting rich off the CWD scam. Okay, I'm ending that. Yeah, I, I can't. You got it. You, I mean, you, you got you've got the talking points. I don't need to add to them. I was trying to keep this. I was trying to keep this level, but I couldn't. I can't. But no, but but see, that's the point, Dan. I'm here to help. First of all, you're such a good-looking guy. You should get that microphone out of, out of your face. Well, there we go. There you they, go. They can't hear me. Um, okay. I mean, all the grooming had gone to for naught. For naught. Well, I, I don't look like pretty. you. And I'm but not... here's the point. You just made a comment, Dan. You made a comment that we tried to keep this level. We're in a culture war turned spiritual war. You're right. Why would you want to keep it level? You're right. It, and I'm not going down. Is The culture war is something that. Uh, okay. T the Ted Nugent Spirit Campfire podcast streams Fridays. 10 Eastern on Real America's Voice. RealAmericasVoice.com plus the Nightly Nuge every day. I'm nightly having a Nightly Nuge every day. If, I'm like your truth, logic, and common if sense. If you can't get daddy. enough of them here, you can get it there. This one, I'm going to debate you. You're probably going to bust me down on this, but I disagree with you on this. Go ahead. Um, hunter numbers are not declining in America. That's my that's my my uh, contention, my my conviction, and this is, just hear me out here. So I actually have numbers here, 
I took uh, in people say, oh, you're just a Wisconsin homer. Well, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, New York, find four other states with that many deer hunters and we can talk. Because yeah, I Texas have, for sure. I have well, Texas, okay. But I, I go back to 1900, and then we look at by the decade. Okay, I'm just going to run this through you here. This is Wisconsin. I'm a homer for Wisconsin on Wisconsin. 1900, 32,000 hunters. 1950, 312,000 hunters. 1960, 338,000 hunters. 1970, 500,000 hunters. 1980, 618,000. We hit our high water mark in 1990. 699,000 hunters, individual deer hunters, bow hunter, gun hunter, individual. Today, 620,000 hunters. Okay, so people say, well, Dan, that's, you know, that's 80,000 fewer deer hunters. Yes, but look at the harvest. 1990, by 2000, we are averaging 500,000 deer killed. Today, it's 339. The dogs are bored with my stats. Um, No, I love what you're doing. I want to keep hearing this. No, my contention is... When we have surplus, we're going to have more hunters. And people say, well, it's not keeping up with the population. Of course it's not. It's a finite resource. What I know that people have cast as gloom and doom. Hunting is on the decline in America. I say, no, it's not, because as long as we have populations of game to hunt, we're going to have, you're going to have that 650,000 hunters here and in Michigan and in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin and Alabama and Georgia and Texas and, and other places. Okay. Debate me on that. Well, I I don't think there is a debate. Number one, (laughs) uh, there was a time, there there was a time where Wisconsin had a million deer hunters. There was a time when Pennsylvania had a million deer hunters. Not individuals. Those were pardon. Not not individual hunters. When I say, when you say deer hunters, you had a million, but they were not, they were not, I actually went and dissected this by, you bought a bow license, you bought a gun license, you bought a muzzleloader right. license. Yeah, we right. had a million. We sold a million tags. But if you look in the numbers, uh, our sweet spot was, I think Pennsylvania's sweet spot was right around 725, a high water mark. But about five, six years, eight years ago? Yeah, uh, years ago? Might, might have been. Michigan was way up there. Well, let me, let me comment thusly um, to keep it pragmatic. 2023, very horrible conditions in our country right now. Politically, it's um, treasonous, it's criminal, it's dangerous. People are scared. The economy, the open border, the facilitating, actually the orchestration of chemical warfare with fentanyl and methamphetamine, killing more Americans than died in Vietnam by Uncle Sam's doing that. So I could go on with the heartbreak that exists. Dan Schmidt, my blood brother, my great spirit, backstrap daddy. I had the greatest hunting season of my life this past year. And I'm continuing, quite honestly, with the exotics and the varmints and the hogs here in Texas. I had the best tour of my life in 2022. I'm about to go on the road in July and August this year. It's called the Ted Nugent Adios Mofo 23 Tour (laughs) with Greg Smith and Jason Hartless, the best crew, the best songs, the best guitar tone, the best audiences. I'm I'm looking out on my Serengeti right now where we have these wonderful food plots. We got some buck forage oats. We got some corn and some soybean mix out here. Some of these unbelievable products that the industry is creating. Deer hunting in my world is the best it's ever been because I can manage land for optimal productivity and balance. And I've I've had so 
I, I, all my hunts are sold out. I guide and outfit hunts every weekend, September, October, into November. I have my birthday and New Year's hunt here on Spirit Wild Ranch. Every year we have brand new hunters that see my enthusiasm, my avidity. They see that I'm having so much fun. And when I talk about hunting, balancing the earth, the ultimate diet from the venison, and the excitement and the challenge of being in the right place at the right time and performing with all God's gifts for the moment of truth miracle of a good shot placement. People are fascinated and all people have a burning instinct to be participants in God's miraculous creation. I think it might be at an all-time high right now because of the lies of political correctness and the animal rights lies and the anti-hunting lies and the anti-gun lies and the anti-freedom lies and criminality. I think we are okay. I agree with you on that. I don't think that it's threatened. I think that as the animal rights continue with their scams and lies, that good people or even non-hunters are standing up going, well, wait a minute. My Aunt Edna went through the windshield of her Buick because there's no hunting by these forest preserves. Um, so truth, logic, and common sense is more desirable and celebrated today than maybe ever because after World War II, we were so spoiled that Uncle Sam would never turn on us. Now we know that Uncle Sam has turned on us and we the people are finding our spine and our scrotum and we're standing up against uh, 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 criminal behavior by the government, dishonesty and criminal behavior by bureaucracies and game departments claiming that CWD will, will explode because of baiting, but then there's 20 states that allow baiting. What, those biologists don't know what you know? You're lying. And, and here it is in a nutshell. I take this to the DNR in Michigan. I go, that's a dove. That's a shotgun shell box. It's not a songbird. You don't put songbirds on shotgun shell boxes. You can't have a law that allows me to kill sandhill cranes, ribeyes in the sky, but forbid me to consume them. You, Mr. DNR, are immoral. I will never obey immoral people. So get your science together and make game laws based on sound science or, I, or, or I'm going to fight you and I'm going to get rid of you. I would like to see our, our fellow sporters out there stand up stronger every day and fight the lies of the bureaucrats in our game departments who are anti-hunters. The Wisconsin DNR, the Michigan DNR, not all of them, but only the guilty need to feel guilty. Every state, I'm, I'm, I'm hardcore active in all 50 states, all across Canada. I get calls from France. I get calls from England trying to legalize bow hunting in the land of Robin Hood. <laughs> I'm, I'm a participant. I'm an activist. I'm what the founding fathers wanted all Americans to be. I'm what God wanted all people to be, to be critical thinkers and to defy criminal authority, abusive authority from people who are lying and cheating. And I see... Every state has laws on the books regarding hunting, fishing, and trapping that are insane. We insane. <clears throat> and so hunters, if somebody tells you you have to have a minimum draw weight for a bow, don't even bother asking them why. Shemaine kills everything with 30 pounds. Ann Hoyt killed everything in North America with a 35-pound recurve and a cedar arrow. Minimum draw weight, none of your business um lighted sight pins when i'm in a ground blind i can't see the pins i want an ethical kill i need to see my sight pins why 
why would you have a law against a Luminoc in a lighted sight pit? Are you kidding me? Why do I have to have my bow in a case? Why in Illinois do I have to have my bow in a case? What, the, what role does a bow case play in wildlife management? Every state is infested with anti-hunters in the game departments. My fellow sporters, stand up. If you think something is stupid and wrong, fix it. Put pressure on your elected employees to get rid of insane anti-hunting laws. We are not utilizing these resources effectively for maximum hours of family recreation and maximum revenues generated to keep wildlife in the asset column. The wolves are destroying our deer herds. Open the season on the wolf. The wolf is a magnificent big game animal. To not have a season on wolves is irresponsible and criminal. They need to be balanced so that the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, we've lost billions of dollars in revenue because nobody goes across the straits because the wolves have destroyed the deer herd. It's, it's, it's so obvious even guitar players can figure it out. So people think I'm a radical. No kidding. I'm a radical. I experiment in self-government. That's the most radical thing in the history of the human experiment experience. If you're not participating and demanding accountability from your game department, let, let's talk about some entrenched, um, accepted nonsense. There was this, there was this, uh, what was it called? The, uh, the, uh, the, the drought of 1937, the dust storm, the dust bowl of 1937. There were no prairie potholes producing ducks, so we had to reduce, we had to go from market hunting to regulated seasons. Hello? So they had a three-shell limit, and they had shooting hours, and they had bag limits. All good. All good. The ducks are, <laughs> I had the best duck season of my life because of Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfowl and sportsmen who said we need to maximize productivity of habitat and have a regulated harvest so that we never hit the core productivity of the, of the resource. Duh. But why three shells for 15 doves? That's a 1937 law. It's insane. Yeah. Well, people will sky bust. People are going to sky bust with three shells. Plus, I can have four shotguns with three shells each if I want to sky bust. I can do that. So we need to examine the regulations. Are they beneficial to wildlife management in the asset column, or are they just harassing hunters? I've had so many calls, Dan, and I get them all the time. I don't know if you get them, but I get them all the time. People that are heartbroken because their son got a $150 fine because their bow case wasn't zipped up in Illinois. Or a farmer put a mineral block on his farm. What man? Here's a message to all you game departments out there. Who amongst you think you have the authority to tell a landowner in America that he can put a salt block, a mineral block on his, on his land? Who do you think you are? Who, what man could possibly think he has the authority to tell an American citizen whether he throws corn out in the field or not? You're overstepping your boundaries. You guys who enforce these criminal laws, you're the criminals. The, you, you, in a roundabout way, you, you answered my question. False narratives. I wrote this down. I had to write it down so I would remember. Uh, false narratives, fragmentation, and distraction. And that's what we're seeing throughout the country. False narratives on, well, you know, this could, this could affect human health. What the hell is that? Based on what? Based on what? Fragmentation. 
fragmentation, well, you know, <clears throat> you shouldn't be able to bait. So now you're dividing, divide and conquer. You're dividing hunters. You've got the guys who, well, you know, you, 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 you're not a real hunter if you bait and like, what the hell? I just want to hunt. And distraction on some of these other things that you talk about, like silly game laws. We had one in Minnesota. I don't know how much time we have here, but we had one in Minnesota uh, next door to us here yesterday. They were voting on the whole uh, lead ammo thing, you know, and it's like. So, Dan, let me let me make a comment about uh, the the fractionalization within our sport regarding baiting. All you guys that rattle bucks, I don't know if you have a Webster's Dictionary handy or not, but you're attracting the deer to you. Rattling antlers and blowing on grunt calls is audio bait. Oh, Somebody they're going to say, "Oh, come on, now that's that's not putting us." So, a corn pile out there. And I know the argument. And, and, and we go in this. I've vicious... killed more good bucks without any bait, rattling and grunting, I than I have over bait. So people who don't agree with that are inexperienced or they're clinging maniacally to their ignorance. Or jealous. And how about food plots? It's an attraction. How about those of us who plant beech trees and apple trees and, and, and persimmon trees? It's bait. <laughs> You told me once that Shemaine was bait for, for you. Because yeah, Shemaine is bait. God sent, to, sent, God sent Shemaine to this world as bait for the guitar player, and I took it, and I have no regrets. Okay, do we have, we have time for one more. One, one more quick one. I really like the way you, you put this. Uh, you put this in a text message to me, which you probably don't remember. about. A month. I remember all of them. You remember them all? We're talking about Fred Bear, and I know it gets kind of uh, some people. Oh, it's tired, and oh, God, please pull that out. If it's not going to be Fred Bear, it's got to be Motor City Madhouse, one of the two. There I was, back in the wild again. I felt right at home where I belong yeah, I had that feeling coming over me again Just like it happened so many times before So many times What a song! My hunting friends, thank you, thank you, thank you for making this song the emotional powerhouse celebration of not just Fred Bear, but all the Fred Bears in our lives and the connection that I have been blessed beyond measure with my fellow conservation people that this song has bonded us, the emotion, the love, the celebration of what Fred Bear represented, and your uncle and your aunt, and your grandma, your grandpa, your brother, your, your hunting buddies. Dan, you know, I, I, I suspect it's been the number one requested song in Wisconsin since I, I unleashed it in 1989. What a relationship with a magical piece of music. You could tell as soon as I went into it, it, it it has a life of its own. Every so single thank time. Thank you, everybody. Every single thank time. Thank you for making <clears throat> the text you sent me 
was mm-hmm. I asked you why was Ted or Ted, I'm sorry, why was Fred why did he have his impact? And this is what you wrote. You said he spearheaded the most gen- gentlemanly believable approach to the anti hunting animal rights attack. Yep, he did. And I think that's true because why would have it been Fred Bear otherwise? You know, what was it about him that allowed us to bridge that gap as a hunting community? Well, remember, uh, hunting is pure. Hunting is perfect. Hunting is essential. Hunting is a moral, intellectual, and spiritual obligation to nature. It's God's miracle. Hunting is as pure nature as the spring birth. And so when he began promoting it in the 1920s after witnessing the Pope and Young films, uh, and he decided that it's so special getting that close to deer with a bow and arrow, the challenge is so stimulating, so fulfilling, that he, he began a marketing campaign because there was no market for bows and arrows because everybody was taking advantage of Roy Weatherby's ballistical advances. Um, why, sh- why use a 30-30 and kill deer at 100, 200 yards when you can get a 300 wind ma- uh, Weatherby Magnum and shoot them at 600 yards, which is awesome unto itself. I enjoy that. I have a sniper rifle. I shot a nil guy at 700 yards here last year um, and dropped him in his tracks with a, my Remington Corlock ammo that I used in 1966. <laughs> so, so I'm a big fan of crosshairs and long-range shooting, but Fred and we all know that getting closer to game is the ultimate stimuli, the ultimate spiritual, physical accomplishment, challenge, happiness. So Fred couldn't have imagined that there would be a toxic element of society that would be against hunting. It's unimaginable. What are you talking about? It's perfect. It's essential. It it feeds us. It balances. It... it, (laughs) unimaginable and all of a sudden the first belch the first toxic belch of the animal rights scam started to surface when people were having a problem within our own industry why well, a bow and arrow is unethical you need a you need a, at least a, a, a three out six uh, doing at least 2800 feet a second for a Connecticut and so Fred ran into resistance in his own community so his intellect spurred the necessary and pragmatic response to explain the essentiality of an annual harvest, the essential pursuit of definitive challenge of you're not going to kill nothing most of the time, but you'll learn your place and responsibility in nature. And he was such an easygoing Slow talk. All the best bow hunters are slow talkers, which which is why I have such a difficult time because I'm not a. Slow Where does that leave you? <laughs> it leaves me in a, in a perilous <laughs> uh, position, which proves that I can improvise, adapt, and overcome. By the way, because I'm a deadly man with a bow and arrow. Um, I I turn into Fred Bear when I approach my bow. The slowdown, the increased radar the breathing control, and it took me a long time to figure that out, but my point about Fred Bear is he was such a lovable guy. Um, Smart, cocky, funny, 
uh, being around the fireplace and the campfire with Fred all those years, even as young as six or seven when I first met him. I had no idea who he was. Chocolate milk and cherry pie. Yep, chocolate milk and cherry pie at the Grayling Restaurant, baby. Um, That he had an impact. My dad had the most powerful impact because he disciplined me to slow down in the woods and to practice with my bow or I wasn't allowed to hunt. I don't think we had licenses. I don't think until I was 14 I even had a deer license, but I'd follow him around. Of course, we didn't kill any deer, so it didn't matter. <laughs> the only thing I saw of the white-tailed deer was that middle finger as they ran away, usually at a long distance, uh, which, which is, part, which is the, the force of uh, a, a lure to try to slow down and try to get close, which is bow hunting. So Fred Bear was just the consummate, friendly, uh, smart, uh, gregarious, master of stealth and marketing, which is quite a combination Mm -hmm. because most marketers are flamboyant and and colorful and graphics and and he did do all that. I mean, he he had a topless, gorgeous gal in Playboy magazine with a bare bow promoting bear archery at one point but boy he got so much grief for that he ended that campaign pretty quick have you ever seen those photos of the, no, I the topless no, no i, I got a copy of the magazine at playboy from like 1960 where he had this gorgeous topless gal with a bear bow promoting the the bow hunting lifestyle it's awesome which is which i understood immediately um so so fred bear and it's not just about fred bear dan it's about our hunting buddies, especially family members. Yep. And when they die, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. I've heard from tens of thousands of bow hunting families that played the Fred Bear song when their brother died, when their uncle died, mm-hmm. when their dad died, when their grandpa died, when their mother died. Um, when a Navy SEAL dies and the flag draped coffin is wheeled out, they play Fred Bear. Um, little boys and girls who have a last wish in life, they get a hold of us and they want me to play Fred Bear before they die. And little kids, they don't how, know about how, my... How does it affect you? It's, it makes me so strong because I have to be strong in their presence. When I'm playing that song about my dead friend, it's, you can tell right now I could, I could absolutely break down right now. But I don't break down in their presence because they chose me to say goodbye. Is is there a more powerful gesture available to us as human beings? I don't think so. I don't think there's a more powerful statement of, Ted, you're okay because my six-year-old son is dying of cancer and he wants you to play Fred Bear around a campfire. (laughs) Does that eradicate my critics' nonsense? Mm Mm-hmm. It, 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 it eradicates it's oh it's unbelievable these little boys and girls and I play that song and it's, we're smiling all the time and then they leave and Shemaine holds me and I just turn into a puddle a helpless puddle that God has blessed me to that degree that a family would think of me at that emotional time in their life. So if people wonder why I'm so cocky. That's why I'm so cocky. Because those people 
at the most painful time of their life said, Ted Nugent's okay. We're going to go to his ranch and we're going to sing a song with my dying child. The rest, everybody else can kiss my ass. Amen. Man, thank you for sharing that, Ted. That was, that's very powerful. Very powerful. powerful. And I, I don't can't... know anything more. I don't know anything more powerful, and I know a lot of powerful stuff. All right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of lighten it up here. I, I know something that was more powerful, <laughs> although I was only uh, 13 years old. Uh, That's great. <laughs> Is that talking about flamboyant marketing? <laughs> <laughs> that was... And I didn't know I was marketing. I just thought it was a cool picture. I wanted my guitar to be a machine gun 12 gauge. That was pretty cool. <laughs> that was pretty cool. Wow. Well, thank you. Um, we're going to do this again, by the way. I think uh, you've agreed to it. We're going to do it with uh, Steve Ditchkoff. We're going to have a three. Sure. Uh, I'm going to be try to be the moderator. I don't know if that's going to work. but uh, <laughs> You're no. doing a fine job, Dan. I, I, I'm proud to call you my blood brother. Man. Thank you, sir. Yes, no, I, I, and same here. I, I, I appreciate your friendship. I just wish more people would um, understand and read through the rhetoric because it's been so long because everything that you've done for the hunting community um outdoors people in general i, I can't i mean from your venison donations from your your uh, ted nugent camp for kids um your your anti-drug campaign i was like i said i'm watching these videos all night and not every night but a lot of nights sometimes i am the there's loser so many <laughs> on a friday night looking up these videos and i'm seeing ones where you're giving an interview and you look like, okay, take 10 years off of Toby, give Toby this long mane, and that was him. And you guys haven't seen this yet. But he it's 1971, and he's talking to some, excuse me, fucking hippie who's smoking a joint, and Ted's like, you know, he said, you're a sap. You know, that was like calling somebody a douchebag back then. It's like, you're a sap. You know, you're putting all that drugs. And this is 1971. I was four years old, and he was preaching this shit. And he and and let me go off on one more rant. My my fa my my being a fan of his music, he led the way for all these guys. He led the way for um, you know Sammy Hagar and and Steven Tyler and Joe Perry and uh, the only one who I've actually seen give you credit was Slash. He's the only one who I've actually seen publicly give him credit saying. Yeah, we list. We we wanted to be Ted Nugent. He was the rock star. Okay, I'll stop right there. Thank you, Ted. Thank you very much for taking well over an hour with us today. We're gonna dice this up, but uh, again, your podcast, Spirit of the Wild podcast, Shemaine's podcast are where real Real America's Voice. I think it's realamericavoice.com, Maybe Real America's Voice News .com, But we do it every week, and everybody out there. Um, I've been writing articles. I've written New York Times bestsellers. I got a Kill and Grill it, Kill it and Grill it cookbook. I have a Blood Trails: The Truth About Bow Hunting. I've been writing books. Book. If anybody lessens their integrity by assuming what I am, you don't have to assume. I, there's thousands of interviews. I've written thousands of articles. I've written numerous books. I preach from the stage and goodwill and decency and positive spirit, though I never hesitate to condemn evil and evildoers. But to presume or guess what I am based on a Rolling Stone attack or a, or a, a, a Huffington Post lie about me, I pity the fools who would go to hateful 
communist, liberal, Democrat, criminal media to get information on Ted Nugent. All the nasty stuff about me, 100% of it is lies. Um, again, thank you for being my friend. And I, by the way, and a big I love you to all those people who approach me everywhere I go. And we have a great conversation. We talk about this, the spirit of the wild, the, 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 the American dream of being the best that you can be. I am inundated and deeply appreciated for all the positive spirit and energy and love and smart-ass comments that I get everywhere I go. I have lived a, a wonderful life. I got, I, I think I have 23, 24 more opening days ahead of me. Um, and Dan, friends like you um, are an example of the positive people in my life. So a big salute to you and Thank a big you. salute to all those people out there. And the haters, um, you are actually the wind beneath my wings because the haters are just bad, bad people. The Michael Moore fan club is just full of horrible, dishonest, nasty people. And until they stop being dishonest and nasty, I don't want them to be my friends. My friends and my supporters are the best people in the world, and I love you all. Amen. Thank you, Ted. Thank you so much. For Ted Nugent, I am Dan Schmidt. You have been listening to the Deer Talk and watching the Deer Talk Now podcast. We would like you to make sure that you either like or subscribe wherever you're listening or watching this. And please go over to the Real I'm, I keep getting it wrong. The Real America's Voice to check out both Ted's podcast, uh, Spirit, Ted Nugent's Campfire. Spirit Campfire, Shemaine's podcast, Faith and Freedom, and also Ted's uh, nightly I, I don't know. If you, nightly the, the news, nightly which news, is, yeah. And by the way, Dan, thank you everybody for supporting what Shemaine and I have done on the Spirit of the Wild TV. Now on Pursuit Network, we're so happy that it's on Pursuit. Years. I mean, that we're on Pursuit. You know that we've been doing it for I don't know how many years now with Pursuit. They're the great, greatest guys, just yep, the greatest yep. network. And we're yep. so happy to see your show over there as well. Yep. God bless. Godspeed. Good hunt forever. May the great Spirit be forever at your side. Deer Talk Now is brought to you by 10 Point Crossbow Technologies. Whether I'm in a tree stand, ground blind, or spot and stalk hunting, I know the Nitro 505 is up to any challenge. Check one out at a dealer near you or log on to 10pointcrossbows.com for more information.